Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. church hey to everyone that is in the room and hello to all of you that are watching online right now so great to have you uh, my name is Penny Maxwell my husband and I are the senior pastors here he is actually speaking at our Lake Norman campus today uh, and then Pastor Diana is at our South End campus so I get to be here with you in person and online, so great to have you. A uh, couple of things just right off the bat that I'm a little excited about. How many of you got a, uh, a bracelet when you walked in? Did you see them? Let me see, lift them up. Okay, if you didn't, make sure you do so we can honor you appropriately. What does that mean? Green means I'm all about the hugs and high fives. Yellow means I'm being cautious. Why don't you give me like a little elbow bump? And red means get thee behind me. Don't come near me. <laughs> it's just so we can honor one another and respect one another. Um, so I think that's a really good thing. So I've got a green one on. That means hug away. So make sure you get those um, when you walk out. So because people will be looking for it, they'll be like checking to see what can I do. You know, do you do you want me to say hello? Whatever. Um, the other thing I am excited about is we have a few of these. Uh, my husband's new book. This is actually. The pre-release, um, they don't actually, the shipment, the big shipment doesn't actually get in until Thursday. So these are the pre-release books. Um, I think we maybe have 40 of them here, and that is it. But he signed all of these. Um, and he did that because he said, we're going to charge $20 for the books, and everything that comes in through those goes straight to Liberty. So there's, I think there's only maybe not even 40. I know people were grabbing them outside as soon as they came out. But it's a real raw, if you can't handle your pastors being real, do not get the book. Because we go through pain, we go through hurt, we go through what it looked like to walk through um, not only when Troy was walking through his anxiety and the panic attacks, but the toll that it took on me um, and how the, the frustration, well, initially the grace eventually turned to anger um, and it caused some issues with us. Uh, so that is out there and um, that will be a blessing. But again, if you're one of those that needs your pastors to, to be the epitome of perfection, that is not your book. <laughs> 
Um, so we have been in a series called You Asked For It. And I love this series because it's put all of our teaching team in the hot seat. So we've had to answer questions like, should women submit? What does marriage look like? Is it truly just between one man and one woman? What does the Bible say about gender? What does the Bible say about marriage, about family? Um, you name it, uh, are angels and demons real? I'm trying to think of some of the others. Oh, are we in the end times? How do I know that God even exists? Those are all questions that we have been answering along with a lot more. So you can go online and look at all of those and go back and watch them. Um, today, the question that I got, and I thought it was very apropos, and I'm assuming, uh, this is just me guessing, that the person that turned this in is because of a documentary that has come out recently. Um, so the question that I'm going to be answering today is, does God want me rich? Does God want me rich? Because um, there are some conflicting messages out there. There's two prominent ones about what God's will is for you and for your money. Uh, some people would say, and it's called the, the poverty gospel, that you need to take a vow of poverty. Um, and actually, I would just let you know that is a false teaching that says that money and possessions are evil and that rich people are greedy and sinful, and that being poor actually makes you more righteous in God's eyes, and that um, spending things brings about guilt and condemnation. So there's one extreme, which is the poverty gospel, and then there's the other extreme. Anybody know what that one's called? The prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is a false teaching that says you can spend whatever you want, whenever you want, and command God to bless you uh, by naming it and claiming it. So we're going to break down um, some of these things in regards to our finances and find out what is real and what is not. What is Bible and what is not. Because the Bible never upholds poverty as a pathway to righteousness, so neither should we. But the Bible also never condemns wealth and success, and neither should we. Some of you might go, wait, 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 pastor. Wait a second. Money is the root of all evil. It is the root of all evil. Didn't you read your Bible, Pastor Penny? It's the root of all evil. Did you know that money is an inanimate object and money is not good or bad? What determines is whose hand it's in. But wait, no, money's the root of all evil. It says right in my Bible. Let's actually read what it does say. 1 Timothy 6.10. It says, for the what? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, what sets each of us apart is not how much money we make. You can have an issue with money and make $20,000 a year, $200,000 a year, or $2 million a year. The issue is not how much money we make. The issue is what we do with what we make and what does our heart look like. Because I think we get often caught up on the wrong thing. It's really a heart issue. So we're going to dive into that. Uh, and I would just ask you this question, what is your first love? What is your first love? Because it's really easy to determine what your first love is. Where your heart is, your treasure will be there. 
It's pretty simple to flip open that checkbook or hop online and look at your accounting history and figure out what's important to you. So let's dive into this a little bit. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Some people would say, see, that means if you make a lot of money, then you're enslaved because that's all you're thinking about. What is so interesting to me is sometimes people's perspectives on things. My husband and I, when we were um, earlier on in our married years, we've been married for 28 years, but earlier on in our married years, we went over this couple's house for dinner. They had us over and they had three other couples, right? And this guy was a big accountant at an accounting firm, was a very successful guy. So they have all of us over. They asked me to bring um, the chicken and the salad, and I was like, okay. I'll bring the chicken and salad. Another person was to bring the baked potatoes. Another person brought bread and dessert. And by the time we got there, I realized the couple who had us all over, they didn't provide anything. And I thought, well, that's a little wanky. Um, okay, we'll, we'll go with that. And then it got a little hot, actually quite hot in there. And we were all kind of sweating and complaining. And we said, hey, do you think you could turn the air up? It's pretty hot in here. And they're like, no, we don't use our air conditioning. We think it's a waste of money. Well, how many of you guys are familiar with the Enneagram? Do you know what the Enneagram is? It's, it's like a personality test, but it shows more your motivator, you know, what drives you. And I'm an Enneagram 8, which means I'm the challenger. So I like to challenge faulty thinking. So I looked at them and I said, you know what? That is really great if you want to have your AC turned off when you're at home by yourself. But when you invite people over to your house, hospitality looks like you go cut that AC on. Because it was like 81 degrees in there. And we're sweating. And I just told them, I was like, dude, you got a poverty spirit. It doesn't matter how much you make. You can have a poverty spirit and make a lot of money. A poverty spirit has nothing to do with amounts. It has to do with your heart attitude. And so I just remember going, uh-uh. And on top of that, you didn't, we brought all the food. <laughs> that's just a little wanky. Don't y'all think that's a little wanky? Anybody else would have said something? Anybody? I'm like, you know, I love you, but this just ain't right, people. We just, mm-mm, no. All right, so let's, let's take it a step further. Let's go a step further. Okay. So we understand it's a heart issue, but does God actually want me to be rich, though? Does God want me rich? So I think maybe the question that we are asking here is because I watched the documentary that is out there, and I believe this question came from it. The documentary is called The American Gospel, and it contrasts you know, being on the mission field and, and drinking your water from a hole that you've dug up and then you've got over here the televangelists with the three jets and, you know, the vacation homes all over the world and it contrasts them and basically says, this one's holy, this one's not. This one is holy. You know, if you're drinking water, you know, from a hole you've dug and, and you've sold everything and you've moved to what this is holy and this over here is not. I think really what the question the documentary is trying to answer is how much do I really deserve? When is enough enough? You see, 
anything that is over and above, you know, there's a difference between excellence and extravagance. And extravagance implies waste. And so I think the documentary was attempting to or trying to spell that out, but I think it fell way short. So rather than just listen to a documentary or someone's perspective on this um, or throw out a blanket statement of this is all wrong and this is all good, I thought, why not go to the Bible because and hear from the words of Jesus himself because two-thirds of the parables that Jesus spoke were all about money. Why? Because he knew this was going to be a hang-up for us. So two-thirds of those parables were all about money and how to deal with it. So we don't have to be in the dark on the subject. So let me just start with this question, and then I'm going to dive deep into this. I don't want you to answer it out loud. I want you to answer it internally, but I do want you to, in your head, say yes or no. Not just those of you in here, but all of you that are watching online today, which I forgot to welcome all of you from Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, Virginia, Illinois, all over. We love you. And to our troops that are watching right now in Kuwait, um, we love you. Thank you for doing what you're doing so we can be here doing what we're doing. Thank you for keeping us safe and for allowing us our freedoms. We appreciate you. All right, so this is a question I'm going to ask you, and you have to answer this, okay? Because I'm going to ask you if you've answered it. You don't have to answer it out loud, but you got to answer it, all right? Okay, is it wrong to expect that when you give, you should get something back? Shh, don't say it out loud. Is it wrong for you to expect when you give something that you should expect something back? Just think about that internally. Everybody said yes or no in their head? Raise your hand if you did. Okay, raise your hand online. Okay, I see you. Good job. Okay. So let me ask you this question. Let me start here. Is it wrong? The Bible often talks to us um, in ways that the society could understand. So Jesus is talking to an agricultural society. And he talks about a farmer who sows seed in a, in a field. Let me ask you this question. I've got some sweet corn seeds. How many of you like sweet corn? Man, me too. There is nothing like some sweet corn with some butter. Man, slather that thing up. Put some salt and pepper. It gets all in your teeth, but my goodness, is it good. It is so good. Okay, okay. Let me, let me come back. Let me come back. I'm getting off into lunch already. Is it wrong when that farmer takes that corn seed and he plants it in the ground and he sows it, is it wrong for him to expect something in return? Okay, well, that's with corn. Let me try again. Okay. Farmer's got the peas, right? Is it wrong for that farmer when he sows pea seeds into the ground to expect pea plants back? Is it wrong? Are you sure? Okay, okay. Let me try the tomatoes. Is it wrong when the farmer takes tomato seeds and he plants those in the ground? Is it wrong for him to expect to harvest back? Then why do we struggle as Christians? We struggle when we sow seed, we struggle with the harvest that comes back. 
But here's the thing I want you to understand. A wise farmer knows you don't eat all the seed that comes back to you. A wise farmer knows that you eat some so you can sustain yourself and your family. You plant some and you save some. So you keep the law of reciprocity going. So we understand that when it comes to farming. We understand that Luke chapter 6 says, Give and it will come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will men give into your bosom. But somehow in our minds... We think it's bad or wrong when we give something for it to come back. When I give my kids Christmas gifts, I mean, I'd like a smile back. I'd like a a thank you back or a, man, I really appreciated this or this is exactly what I wanted. Let's take that a step further. God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Did God expect a harvest back when he sowed the big S seed of Jesus? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why? So that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So if God's going to sow a seed, big S seed, Jesus, and expect and hope a harvest in return, why is it wrong for me to follow in that? Because what has happened is we have gotten things twisted. It is not wrong to get back, but we have to ask ourselves, what is our why? What is our why? You see, we don't give to get, but we should give and expect. Do you understand? It's always about the motive. It's not wrong to expect something back, but ask yourself why. Would you put money in a faulty investment and go, well, that's okay. I wanted to lose my money anyway. When you sow your money, when you put your money into an investment, you are trusting and believing for it to multiply. Why do you want it to multiply? You're either going to be a blessing or you're going to need a blessing. You get to choose. I've decided in my life I would rather be a blessing to someone than have to need a blessing from someone. And so we get to determine that. Wisdom says eat some, sow some, and reap some. You see, the blessing isn't the problem. It's how we think about the blessing that is the issue. Now, when we talk about the prosperity gospel, we don't believe in the American way that the prosperity gospel has been defined. But what we do believe here at Freedom House is we believe that prosperity is in the gospel. We don't believe in the Americanized prosperity gospel, but prosperity is in the gospel. I do not believe that if you watch a televangelist and you send $100 and that you're going to get this miracle water that's going to work, that's ridiculous. I don't believe you should send $200 and get a splinter from the cross. Do you understand? I believe in prosperity with a purpose. What is our purpose? Proverbs 10.22 
This is what I want you to hear because this sums up my entire message. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. So let's go back to the original purpose because any time that I want to know how something works, I go back to when it was created. In the garden, Adam and Eve, God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion. That does not sound like somebody to me that is in lack. Lack comes when we get outside of the will of God. If you go through the Bible and you study and you research, anytime there was a famine in the land, now there is a difference between when the devil, an isolated instance where he attacks you, that's a test, versus when you are living in a famine. When you are living in a famine, if you've been having the same issue for years and years and years and years, there's sin at the root. Anytime you see a famine in the Bible, it was always caused by sin. Now, you can be attacked by the devil and it's situational and you'll move through it. You'll kick his butt. You'll keep going, right? But anytime you see a famine, I would just ask you to look at the root because the root tells you about the fruit. So go and find out why, why have I been dealing with these financial problems for 15 years? Why is there a history in my family all the way back of this situation? Maybe there's some things that need to be broken down. Let's go through this because I want you to understand that word prosperity because I think the word prosperity gets a bad rap. I think it gets a bad rap. You know, I've seen the, the same thing happen with the word sex. People are even afraid to say the word sex because it gets a bad rap because the world has perverted it. But God made it, and anything God made, he made what? He made good, and all the men said amen. Mm-hmm, yeah, I'm helping y'all men right now, and y'all ain't taking the bait. So when, we, when it comes to specific words, some of the, the world's way of doing things have become taboo. But God would say, look a little higher. So I want to talk about that word prosperity real quick. Prosperity simply means a successful, flourishing, or thriving condition, especially in financial respects, to have good fortune. Is there anybody that does not want to be prosperous? It means prosperous in your marriage, prosperous in your relationships, prosperous in your health. It's not just a financial thing. That's how you know when prosperity is in play because an American gospel is four jets, three vacation homes, an air-conditioned doghouse. That doesn't translate country to country to country. But a good family, a loving marriage, great kids, that can transfer country to country to country. So prosperity is more than how much you make. It's the quality of your life and how are you doing internally. 3 John 1, 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in what? Does it say just your bank account? It says in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Let's keep going. Let's take it a little bit further. 1 Kings 2, 3 says, and keep charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may what? In what? In all that you do and wherever you turn. 
Second Chronicles 26.5, he sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him what? Prosper. It's amazing how many times that word is in my Bible. All right, Job 36.11, if they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in what? And their years in pleasure. Psalms 1, 1 through 3, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. prosper. Psalms 35, 27. I told you we were going to go to the Word. We're not going to get opinions. We're going to go straight to the Word of God. Psalms 35, 27. Let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the what? prosperity of his servant psalms 37 25 i have been young and now i am old but i have yet seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread he is ever merciful and lends and his descendants are blessed is there anything wrong with wanting to be financially successful no, if your motive is right. Motive is key. So what does biblical prosperity look like? What does that look like? I'm just going to give you a couple things we're going to break down. The first is diligence. Diligent people understand the law of reaping and sowing. They understand that prosperity comes from hard work over a long period of time. They understand that it doesn't come to those who give up when the going gets tough, but to those who persevere and succeed through an unwavering application of grit. When I see people rise up out of poverty, it's never because they had a victim mentality. It's because they said, I don't care what happened to my ancestors. I don't care what happened to my mom and dad. I don't care how long our families lived on the system. I am not going to quit. I am not going to keep, I'm not going to quit planting. I'm not going to quit expecting. I am going to believe the word of God at its core. No matter what, I will not give up. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to plant the seed and I'm going to believe God is going to help water it and bring the harvest. But I'm not going to live in a victim mentality or a poverty mentality because that came down my bloodline. At some point, we cut that off and we say, no, no, no. My family's filled with alcoholics. I said, no, no, no. No, this, this stops here. It does not go any further in the generational cycle. Mental illness, no, 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 no. That stops here. Depression, no, no, no. That stops here. We're not going any further. Between my mother and my father, eight marriages. Eight. I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going that direction. It doesn't matter what was in front of my face growing up. As long as the word of God is what I'm looking at and magnifying God's word, 
It doesn't matter what my past looks like. Doesn't matter what I've had to walk through. Doesn't matter where I've been. God's word is either true or it's a lie. And if I believe it's true, I refuse to be a victim. There is nothing you can do to take me back to my family tree. Because when Jesus redeemed me and saved me, the blood that flows from Calvary now flows through my veins. And it is no longer my past that lives, but it is Jesus Christ that lives in me. I am no longer a slave, but I am free and I refuse to live a victim. I don't care what's happened. I don't care where I've been. I refuse. Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. In other words, let me give you the Penny 2020 version. You cannot expect a harvest on seed you've never sown. It's as simple as that. Let's keep going. Biblical prosperity looks like discipline. Modern culture has turned discipline into a bad word. I went through our office, and there's a lot of millennials in our office, and I went through and I said, tell me the word discipline, what it means to you. And they were all like, man, that means the leather belt. (laughs) But you know what? Discipline isn't just about punishment. Discipline is about learning to train our flesh, subduing our flesh, bringing our flesh under control. So we can be in charge of our own behavior. Discipline is hard and unpleasant, but it brings rewards to those who commit to walk its path. Just as children need discipline, mine needed discipline, especially the number one and number three. Number two was a whole lot easier. But number one and number three, they needed discipline so they could turn out well. Why do we think that as adults we don't still need discipline? We absolutely do. Isaiah 119 says, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. What else does biblical prosperity look like? It looks like contentment. In other words, whatever your income, learn to live on less that you make so you have breathing room to save, invest, and give. Contentment is a strange thing, and it's a completely foreign concept to a lot of us in America. And it goes against a lot of our uh, character makeup. So we often have to fight against what that looks like. Because we'll say things like, not, not out loud, well, so-and-so has that. Why don't I? She's doing this. Why can't I? He did that. Why can't I? And that whole comparison thing is exactly what comes against contentment. What does it look like to be content? It looks like being mature. And what does that look like in regards to our finances? It looks like this. When you get more, you don't feel rich. You feel blessed. What does it look like when you lose some of what you have? It looks like you realize it's just stuff anyway, and it's not that big of a deal. And I just learned if the devil takes something away from me, the Bible says that he has to restore sevenfold. So I'm like, oh, you took that? That's all right. There's sevenfold coming. I'm not concerned. It's almost like, go ahead, take it, see what happens. 
I mean, if you knew that God was going to bless you beyond, would you get all bent out of shape when something didn't work out the way that you wanted it to? No, because you trust God. When you trust God, every decision becomes an easy one. I know you're either going to catch me or you're not. And if I believe you are, what is there to worry about? If you take care of the birds and the lilies of the field, I mean, might I have a little more value than those? Might you look after me? Does contentment mean that you lose desire for any worldly possessions? Not necessarily. It just means that you're putting material wealth in its proper perspective. It's simply a tool for you to learn and to use properly and wisely. That's all it is. God doesn't care if you have money, but he does care if money has you. We have to understand that. 1 Timothy 6, uh, verse 6 through 9, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Faithfulness. That's the next, that's the next thing about biblical prosperity. That's one of the keys. Is what does faithfulness look like? Faithfulness is a character trait, is an unwavering commitment to holiness. Faithfulness looks like doing what you said you would do long after the mood you set it in has left you. That's what faithfulness looks like. It means doing the right thing over a long period of time. In the Bible, um, I love the story uh, where Jesus, in, in Matthew 25, where he's talking about the parable of the talents. And he says that the master came and he gave five talents to one, two to one, and one to another. And the master comes back. He said, I'm entrusting you with these. And he comes back and he wants to see how well you did with these. The one that had five now has ten. The one that had two now has four. The one that had one took it, buried it, hid it. What did God say to the ones who multiplied? His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. But what did he say to the one who took and buried what he did have? He said, you're wicked and lazy. God expects whatever he puts in our hands to multiply. He expects that. But I think where we get off is what do we do when he multiplies what's in our hand? Do we take the 12 baskets home for us or we do disperse them? And again, there's nothing wrong with feeding and, and being full. We just can't forget about everybody else in the process. And sometimes we're asking God for more and he's like, you're not even really taking care of what you already have. My husband is famous for doing this. He will walk around um, the parking lot during the week when our staff are here, and he'll go up and he'll look in all the backs of their cars, and he'll go up to somebody and say, hey, you, you want God to give you a new car someday? And they're like, yes, Pastor, I'd love a new car. I really want a new car. And he said, great, why don't you go clean the McDonald's bags out of your car? Why don't you put your other hubcap on, maybe give it a bath, take care of it, treat it like it's something important and valuable to you, and maybe he will give you a new car. 
But if you don't take care of what he's already put in your hand, how is he going to know to trust you with something else? He's looking to see how good of a steward you are. We're saying, God, give me more. And he's like, I can't trust you. You can't even wash your car. You want a, another house, but your grass is so high that it, it doesn't make sense. God's saying, can you just be faithful? Can you be found faithful? All right, last, last one, um, biblical prosperity. What does that look like? It looks like generosity. What is generosity? It's when you're living on less than you make, then you're free to give of the overflow. If you're a slave to debt, it's really hard to be generous. We always taught our children, we said, don't ever go into debt. The only thing to, to go into debt for is a home. That is an appreciating asset. Don't go into debt for cars. Don't go into debt for jewelry. Don't go into debt for whatever else. Don't go into debt. We taught them buy salvage title cars, and that's what they did. They had to save their money. When they turned 16, salvage titles. They're like, you don't need to go into debt and get a new car payment at 16 years old and learn how to play the debt game. Don't do it. Proverbs eleven twenty four says the world of the generous gets larger and larger and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. You see, generosity is the antidote for discontentment, entitlement, and selfishness. You want to know how to break those things? It's called generosity. Dave Ramsey said that quote, and I just absolutely love it, because when people are struggling with entitlement, discontentment, or selfishness, God will break that. One of the first ways he does it, he says, I want you to tithe. Because if you struggle giving back 10% to God, which is already his in the first place, if you struggle just returning back what's already his, he's like, can't trust you, you got McDonald's in the back of your car. You're struggling to look after what I've already given you. you. You can't return that. And when we struggle to return what's not even ours, he's like, mm. that's why the tithe, that word tithe means tenth. Because in the Bible, every time you see the word ten, it's the number of testing. With the ten plagues, they were given ten tests to get out of their situation. Because some people may look and go, that's so cruel how the water came down over all the Egyptians' heads and they were all annihilated. They had ten chances. Ten. The number ten. Sometimes we get mad at God for the consequences that we're in. And he's like, ten. I gave you ten. God, I'm, I'm upset at where I am financially. I gave you ten. It's not God's fault. You see, here's what I've learned, is that priority will always show me importance. It always shows me importance. The most important things to me, I prioritize. When we are living in debt, it robs us from living of our dreams, and it keeps us of giving when the opportunity arrives. If we learn to live with an open hand instead of a closed fist, that when God says, hey, I want you to do this, I want you to bless this person, I want you to give to this, I want you to help build these other churches or help get the prison started, the prison ministry started, well, if we're so covered in debt, it's almost like 
we're in prison ourselves, just with invisible bars. And God's like, I don't want you to live that way. I don't want you to do that. I want you to be free. What's the key? The key is stewardship. What does that mean? It just means that we oversee and we steward well all that God has put into our hands. And when you know it's not yours, it's amazing how lightly you'll hold it. I remember when um, my kids went through, uh, one of, my son in particular had a really bad car accident. And I wanted to just hold on every time that he left the house. I mean, his car was flipped upside down. It was, traffic was backed up for miles, the ambulance. It was a horrible, horrible accident. And I wanted to have fear in my heart when that happened. And the Lord just said, he's not yours. Hold him looser. You're holding on too tight. He's mine. You see, I'm just a steward of my children. Anything that is in my hand is not mine. I'm just a steward over. And when we learn and when we understand that, it's amazing how that grip, we unloose it. I wanted to close up today and just read you a story that I feel like encapsulated all of the points that I just gave you. It's a story that I read about um, a father who uh, said this about his son. I thought it was pretty amazing. He said, times have not been easy lately, but people have been kind. We live in a lower middle-class neighborhood. My wife was just diagnosed with breast cancer last week. So my 14-year-old son decided that he wanted to raise money to help pay from some, for some of her medical expenses. A 14-year-old. Thinking beyond himself. Thinking about his mom and what she's going through and his dad at 14. How many kids take on their responsibility to say, I want to try to do something. So he wanted to help pay for some of the medical expenses. He had an idea and it was to go door to door around the neighborhood with hair clippers. It's amazing how creative that we can get when we wanna be part of the solution. He went around the neighborhood door to door with hair clippers and he said to his dad, I will let people shave part of my head for a small donation of their choosing. He said, what do you think dad? Do you think if I set a goal for the day of $100, would that be too much? His dad said, hey, listen. And this was written by the dad. The dad said, hey, listen, don't get your hopes up. You know the neighborhood we live in. Does that matter to God, what neighborhood you live in? And so I told him not to get his hopes up. He came back home 10 minutes ago. He had a bald head and $1,225. Three people in the neighborhood had given him $100 bills. Pretty amazing, right? Would you stand with me today? What would our life look like if we just said, God, I give you everything. I give it all to you. God, steward, help me steward what you've put in my hand. And God, even if I don't have any seed in my, my hand, like this young boy, help me get some seed that I can sow. Because what I've found is that the word of God will never return void. If he puts something on your heart to do, don't quit. Don't give up. Even if it looks impossible, 
even if you think, man, I don't know how that's going to happen. I, this, this problem seems too big. This thing doesn't seem like it's going to go through. I mean, who would have ever thought that this 14-year-old kid would come home with $1,225 to go to his mother's treatments? If we know that God is not a respecter of persons and he did that for this young boy, what might he do in your life today? What might he do for you, for your marriage? Remember, prosperity is not just about money. It's about your health. It's about your mental health. It's about your marriage. It's about your family and your children. Would you close your eyes today? If you're either uh, in this room or you're online and you just say, you know what? I heard you today talk about what God did when God gave. And I actually, um, I want to receive that. I want to be on the other end of that. I want to say yes to that. Maybe you just need a fresh start today. Maybe you need a do-over, whether you're in here or online. If you're here in the room and you go, man, that's me. I just need a fresh start. Would you just lift your hand up? You can lift it up and put it back down. I need a do-over. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? I just need a fresh start. I see you in the back. I need a fresh start. I need a do-over. I just We need to hit the reset button here. Anybody else in this room? want to include everyone in this prayer and if you're online thank you two more three more anybody else if you're online there's a little hand that you can click or you can say something in the chat bar just to let us know because we want to pray with you as well and believe with you but God gave his best he gave his son Jesus his hand was fully open he did not have a closed fist when he gave His hand was fully open. And today, God's saying, you can receive my son because I gave. You get to be the benefactor. You get to receive. So if you would just close your eyes, everyone in here and online, let's just say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now in the name of Jesus. We ask for a fresh start. We ask for a do-over. We let go of our past and we push forward to our future. We don't hold on. We keep on going. We get some grit and we don't stop. We don't quit. We will serve you, Jesus, all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message. Thank you.